So good morning, Zio family, and happy new year. Welcome to 2022. I really hope and pray that you manage to find some peace and joy in this crazy Christmas season and that you had some time for friendship and family and that you knew that God was with you. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying as I do in my little morning routine and I found myself drawn to pray especially about the state of my heart. For a few years now, um, pretty much every day, I've embraced this practice of surrendering to Jesus, asking God to fill me with his Holy Spirit and change the way I think, the way I feel, the way I see things, the way I speak, the places that I go, that in essence, that I would become more like Jesus. In the words of Alex Buchanan, who used to be part of the Zio family now, and now is with the Lord, Alex always used to say that the goal of our lives is to know Christ better than we do and to become more like him than we are. And so that is a great prayer. That's a prayer that's always going to get heaven's attention. It's a prayer that you know is in line with the will of God. And in fact, it's the reason we were created to know Christ and to become like him. That's literally what it means to be a disciple, a follower, an apprentice, that we are becoming like Jesus. So it was a couple of weeks ago and I'm praying God changed the way I think, my thoughts, change my eyes, the way I see things. And as I pause to say, God, change my heart, help my heart to be more like Jesus. I, I suddenly felt this sense of that sometimes happens where the Holy Spirit's arresting me and saying, hey, you need to focus for a second on the state of your heart. It was almost like God was saying, Matt, how is your heart? How is your heart? And I wonder how you would answer that question as we step into this new year. How is your heart as we stand or sit or maybe lie exhausted on the borders of 2021 and 2022? Let me ask you today, this first Sunday of the year, how is your heart? You know, the Bible has a huge amount to say about the human heart. Literally hundreds and hundreds of verses throughout the Old and the New Testament that speak about the state of the heart, the role of our heart, the response of the heart, the very need of the heart, and how the heart needs God's healing. And when both the Old Testament and the New Testament Hebrew and Greek languages speak about the heart, they're not referring to this uh, physical pumping organ that lies right inside of us. In biblical thinking, the heart encapsulates our very core being. It's the center of who and what we are. It's our thinking, feeling, our longing, our mind, emotions, and will. And this ancient book of the Bible steals a march on psychology when it reminds us that our core thoughts and feelings shape our words and actions. Our thoughts and feelings shape our words and actions. And so it was nearly 3,000 years ago that Israel's third king, King Solomon, he wrote these words in Proverbs 27 verse 19. Proverbs 27 verse 19, he says this, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Like Solomon was reminding us that what is happening inwardly in our hearts will always reflect outwardly in our lives. It's like the atmosphere of our heart sets the atmosphere of our life. And so, for example, we know that a bitter heart 
is the root of a bitter life. And an angry life is often the fruit of an angry heart. And we see this more than ever before, probably due to the influence of social media. I was just watching before Christmas a TV documentary that was all about internet trolling and internet hatred and and it was just shocking to see what people were writing horrendous violent abusive things as they hid behind their computer screens or mobile screens but what those things did reveal what it couldn't hide was the state of their heart that they would actually put that kind of things so it's no surprise that someone once said years ago the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart and so Solomon, who writes all these words about the heart, he also goes on to say this in Proverbs 4, verse 23. He says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, what's interesting, the Hebrew word for guard is natsar. And it's often used to describe what a sentry would do to guard and defend a fort. There's that sense of the sentries being very careful what's allowed in and what's not allowed in. And so, so that's the parallel that Solomon is drawing for us here, that we need to be like sentries over our heart, guarding our heart, being very careful about what we let in. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, familiar uh, Greek mythological story about the Trojan horse. I'm sure you know it, but if you don't, it's the story of the Greek army led by King Odysseus. And they're trying to attack, laying siege to the Trojan city of Troy. And after a relentless campaign, it seems that they can't get in. And so Odysseus has this cunning plan. He fakes that they're leaving in surrender and sailing away, but they've constructed this huge wooden horse. And when the Trojans sense that the Greeks have left, they go out of the city and they see this huge wooden horse and they think it will be the spoils of war. So they take it back into the city, close the city doors, not knowing that actually inside that huge equine structure are a small group of Odysseus' army and also Odysseus himself who then, in the dead of night, they sneak out, they open the doors, the Greek army comes in, and the city is destroyed. Like, if nothing else, this is a moral parable that reminds us, be really careful what you let in to the city of your life, to the city of your heart. Be mindful of what you're allowed to soak into yourself. Even some things look good, but they're not as good as they seem. In his book, The Brothers Karamazov, Russian novelist Dostoevsky, he speaks about how the heart is the battlefield of mankind. It's the place where the forces of God and the forces of Satan are constantly fighting, trying to win the battle of the heart. And so no wonder that Solomon says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so let me ask you again, how is your heart today? What's the condition of your heart? What have you let in as we start this brand new year? And so I want us to take just a few minutes to do a little bit of a heart check, to pause with me. Uh, let's put ourselves under God's heart monitor. And, 
And submitting our hearts to God is a practice, again, that we see throughout the scripture. In fact, Solomon's dad, King David, the second king of Israel, the most beloved king, he often did this. Like David was known as a man after God's own heart. That's how God literally described him. And yet David regularly needed to allow God to conduct some heart monitoring and inevitably some heart surgery because David knew that his heart needed some help some divine help. In Psalms 26 verse 2, David writes these words, test me Lord, try me, examine my heart and mind. And then in Psalm 139 verse 23, David writes again, search me God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. As I think about this need to heart search, I look back on the, the landscape of my life and these various moments where I, I've known, wow, I need God to search my heart. What is going on in my heart? And this is a moment again to do the same. Let me take you to a, a youth camp that I was speaking at many, many years ago. And it was a week long camp and a good friend of mine, he was speaking for the first two or three nights. And then I was doing the final two or three nights, about 150 young people. And I turned up halfway through the camp and I got to hear Mark's final preach. And, uh, and he is brilliant. Like Mark is a fantastic communicator. He is hilariously funny. In, in fact, it would be no exaggeration and honoring to him to basically say he is a comedian. Like I like to tell funny stories and make people smile, but there's a difference than being able to tell funny stories and being a natural comedian. And that's what Mark is. And he uses that as a tool to communicate the gospel. So he was brilliant. He was funny. He was poignant. He was powerful. God used him and young people responded. And so we had some catch up time at the end. And then the next day he left and I was to do the final couple of nights. And I remember during that day, just getting to know some of the young people and having a chat with them. And in the midst of that conversation, this young person looked at me and said, so you're speaking tonight? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I am. And then uh, they said, are you as funny as Mark? And I'd love to tell you that I just laughed, shrugged it off and said, no, I'm not as funny as Mark. You know, you know, Mark's in another league. And in a sense, I did still say that, but I'd love to say that was it. But the reality is that comment went into my heart and it crippled me because my heart already had issues with comparison. And so I battled and I left that conversation, went back to my room and I re-looked at my talk and I thought, how can I make this talk more funny? Whereas what I should be doing is praying and ask God to heal my heart from the toxic poison of comparison. It will not be a surprise to you that that night when I spoke, I spoke too long. I was a bit all over the place because I was trying to be something that I wasn't because my heart was still battling with the issue of comparison. And, and later that night, and in fact, the following day, I remember just walking around this campsite when I had some moments to myself and just praying, God, what is going on in my heart? I need you to search my heart, heal my heart and free me from this poisonous comparison issue. How is your heart right now? Like what are the things in this moment that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you and to me as we step into this new year to say, God, search my heart, heal my heart so I can step into something new. 
across 1500 years of biblical writing about the heart, we're reminded about a number of heart conditions that the Bible speaks about, that God speaks about. These heart conditions create barriers that stop the flow of God's life and peace and grace operating in our lives. And there are loads of them, but I just want to share 10. 10, as I studied the scripture in preparation for speaking to you today, 10 heart conditions that stop the life of God flowing in our lives. And just praying, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and maybe connect us if we're battling with some of these heart conditions right now. So the first is fearful, a fearful heart, a heart that's living in anxiety, fear and worry. Secondly, a deceived heart. A heart that's come to believe some things that are not true and then living out of that deceitful reality. A broken heart. Maybe some of us are feeling that today, the the brokenness of a, a broken relationship or someone that we've lost as we've navigated these two terrible years. Number four, a despairing heart. A heart that feels that there is no hope. Number five, a bitter heart. Maybe someone has deeply hurt you, offended you, and and I know it's so hard to forgive and release that person, but if we're not careful, we become bitter and twisted. Number six, an aching heart. Maybe there are things that we're praying for, longing for, maybe for, for months, years, maybe even decades, and our heart is aching for those things, desperate for those things. Number seven, a proud heart. The Bible speaks a lot about this. God actually opposes the proud, this, this me-centered, self-centered, selfish heart. It's all about me. Number eight, a faltering heart. Is your heart wrestling with doubts and, and you're wavering and you just, you're not quite sure what to do? Number nine, a disturbed heart. Are there things that are going on in your life at the moment that you're just deeply troubled by? And you don't even know why, perhaps, and you just can't find peace and all of these things can bring us to number 10 which the scriptures speak about often which is a hard heart a hard our heart has become hard because of all the circumstances and situations we face now these 10 heart conditions and more they can be a result of experiences that we've had things that have happened to us they may be choices that we've made bad choices that have let some bad things into our heart maybe lies that we've believed But what's so breathtakingly awesome about God, who is fully revealed in Jesus, is that God today and every day doesn't come to condemn us for the state of our heart. He comes to save us. He comes to heal us. In fact, when King David, this guy who was a man after God's own heart, when he experienced his own inner battles with brokenness and loss, despair, fear, lack of hope. He he writes this beautiful song expressing what he discovers in God's response to people who are fragile. You can read the whole song in Psalm 34 uh, verse 18, but but here's my favorite verse and he says this in uh, Psalm 34 verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And this this Hebrew word for brokenhearted is a 
powerful word loaded with emotion. It's, it's describing someone who literally feels that their life has been or is being broken into pieces, seemingly irreparable. Someone who has got to the very end of themselves and yet in that place, they reach out in humility to God. That's what David is doing in this song, Psalm 34. He's crying out to God, God, my life appears to be wrecked. My heart is broken into pieces. Help me. And what David finds that when he gets to the end of himself, he defines the very beginning of God able to work. One of my favorite quotes is, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives but God is not helpless amongst the ruins. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives, but God is not helpless amongst the ruins. David discovers that God always responds to those help me prayers. He is closer, this God, than the very breath that we breathe. And he doesn't come to us with condemnation. He comes to us with kindness and compassion. One of Jesus' most famous and wonderful invitations we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 to 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In saying yoke, Jesus is speaking about his way of life. That's what that means. Take my way of life upon you. Embrace my way of life. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Let me ask you, is your heart weary? Is your heart carrying heavy burdens, burdens that feel way too heavy for you to carry? And then if that's the case, and isn't it the case for all of us? Jesus says, come, come to me and I will give you rest. The word for rest here is the the Greek word anapao, and it literally means to refresh, to calm down, to strengthen, and to cease from struggling. That's what God wants to do by his spirit, even now for you right where you are, to refresh you, to bring his calm, to strengthen you, and to help you cease from struggling. When I read those words, it reminds me of when my boys, Andy and Dan, were much younger when they were toddlers and and the numerous times they would fall over and hurt their knee and they'd just cry out in pain and sadness and shock. And I would scoop them up into my arms and hold them so close to my chest that they could almost feel the very beat of my heart. And I would speak to them words to soothe them and calm them until eventually their struggling ceased and they were calmed rested and really that that picture of me and my boys is what Jesus is talking about how God wants to be with us it's what he alludes to in verse 29 in fact what's interesting about verse 29 is this is the only place in the four gospels where Jesus specifically gives us a window a description into the nature of his heart he tells us that he is humble and gentle in heart that his heart towards us is humble and gentle. This is amazing news. 
that when we courageously bring the condition of our hearts to God, he doesn't amplify our guilt by sighing in weariness that we're still not in better shape. He doesn't amplify our shame by drawing attention to our failures and mistakes. He doesn't amplify our fear by threatening judgment and punishment. He doesn't amplify our sadness by leaving us lost and alone. He doesn't amplify our weariness by just commanding us, come on, sort yourself out. He doesn't do that. Jesus comes to us, he says, with gentleness and humility. In fact, some translations say, my heart is gentle and lowly. This word gentle in the original Greek language means that Jesus doesn't overreact. He's not harsh or unkind. He doesn't come towards us with a pointing finger, but with open arms. His eyes are not fueled with anger. They are filled with tears of compassion for our struggle. His immense compassion is for us even if what we're feeling is a result of bad choices and decisions that we've made in the struggling mess of our fragile lives Jesus doesn't hold his nose in disgust but he draws close in devotion he is gentle with us and this word for humble or lowly literally means that Jesus takes the lowest position in order to be with us he comes down low he stoops down he doesn't say come up to where i am he comes down to us theologians and scholars talk about the fact that there is the transcendent nature of god and the imminent nature of god the transcendent nature of god is that sense that god is above and beyond anything we can get our head around he is bigger and more awesome he is other impossible to understand and yet paradoxically there is the imminent nature of God which reminds us that God is up close and personal not distant and disinterested but actually personally present in every moment every situation he is with us we've just celebrated Christmas haven't we the moment where God literally came to be with us in Jesus his name Emmanuel the God who stooped down into the mess of our world and our lives However you're feeling, whether it's happened to you or happened because of things that you've done, where however low you're feeling, Jesus will meet you there. Jesus being lowly and humble means that he is approachable, he is accessible. There are no hoops that you have to jump through. There's not a, a bar that you have to reach. Wherever you are, you will find Jesus wanting to care for you. Author Dane Ortland put it this way. He said this, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, Jesus' desire that you find rest, that you come out of your storm, outstrips even your own. Just think about that for a moment, what he's saying. This is an amazing truth, that Jesus is more committed more concerned, more passionate about your well-being in life and faith in God than even you are. And he alone as your creator 
can fix your heart. In the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 26, 36, God makes a promise to all those of us who reach out and humbly surrender to him. He says this, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus, in his gentle, humble, loving kindness, will cooperate with us every day to perform heart surgery through the work of the Spirit to remove the stones of life's bad choices and experiences that are clogging up our hearts and stopping them working right. And so therefore our lives aren't right because our lives are the overflow of our heart. And Jesus wants to get rid of all those stones, heal us day by day for the rest of our lives so that we will be well in the deepest part of our being. In the New Testament letter of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from a prison cell. And he writes these famous words, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving and the peace of God will be the guard that by his spirit, God will say, that's not going to bring you peace. Let's not let that into your heart. Let's not let let flow out of your heart, healing a heart and make us to be men and women of peace. And this peace, God's peace, is a gift from heaven for you and for me. When we get to that place, where we can just say, God, I surrender. Fill me with your peace, change my heart. And then we can sing this, this peace means that we can say it is well with my soul. In Jeremiah chapter three, verse 22, we read these words. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord. Friends, God wants to heal and restore your hearts. But just like in that verse, we need to say, God, we're coming. We're coming probably every day we're coming, that you would heal our hearts. How is your heart today? What does God need to do to bring his healing to it? I want to encourage you as we step into this new year to maybe embrace a new daily practice. Maybe you want to write down these three scriptures and make them a daily prayer and see what God will do. The first is Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. This is the prayer of inviting God to search our heart. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Praying every day the prayer of search my heart, God. The second prayer is from Psalm 51, verse 10. King David has screwed up big time. He's committed adultery. He's lied about it. He's tried to cover it up and he's even got a man murdered. And when God reveals the state of his heart, he comes clean. He admits it. He surrenders. 
and he writes this amazing song of repentance in Psalm 51. And in that song, there is a prayer of restoration. It says simply this, Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal, a faithful, a righteous spirit within me. So we pray a prayer of searching. We pray a prayer of restoration. And then the final, Psalm 19, verse 14, a prayer of commitment. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So let me close and maybe close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this moment. And I pray those prayers over you and over me as the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing into our hearts, both now and forevermore. And so, Father God, search us, know our hearts, test us and know our anxious thoughts. Point out anything in us that offends you. Lead us along the path of everlasting life. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal, faithful, righteous spirit in me. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. God bless you. God be with you. God keep you in his peace as we surrender to him every single day. Change my heart by your spirit. Help me to be more like Jesus.